All right. This is uh, the Mullen family, and we would love to wish you all a Merry Christmas uh, from our family to all of your families. Uh, The reading tonight is from the Gospel of Luke. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest rooms available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. CBS News presents Man on the Moon, the epic journey of Apollo 11. Here from CBS News Apollo headquarters at Kennedy Space Center, correspondent Walter Cronkite. Good morning. It's T-minus one hour, 29 minutes, and 53 seconds, and counting in just an hour and a half. If all goes well, Apollo 11 astronauts Armstrong, Aldrin, and Collins are to lift off from pad 39A out there on the voyage man always has dreamed about. Next stop for them, the moon. Nine. Ignition sequence starts. Six, five, four, three... Two, one, zero, all engine running. 
Apollo 11, everything going well for a landing on the moon, three hours, 21 minutes, and 14 seconds from now. Guide Houston, the eagle is ready to copy. Houston, you're a go for landing, over. Oh, great go. One of the better goes I've heard in a long time. Boy, we're go for landing on the moon. Woof. 30 seconds. Forward. Hey. Contact light, engine arm on. We're home. <laughs> Man on the moon. Houston, uh... Oh, jeez. Tranquility base here. The Eagle has landed. Roger, twink. Tranquility, we copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Ooh. Oh, boy. Thank you. Hmm. What? <laughs> okay, we're going to be busy for a minute. There's a foot coming down. There he is. Yeah. There's a foot coming down the steps. Armstrong is on the move. Yeah, Neil Armstrong, 38-year-old American, standing on the surface of the moon on this July 20th, 1969. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Anybody remember? Okay, yeah, it's pretty exciting. <laughs> so that's when uh, an American landed on the moon, and America was just full of excitement and joy and anticipation all over America. Americans were huddled around little TV screens, so excited about Neil Armstrong landing on the moon. It was palpable. It was a thrilling moment. Why did we just play that for you? Well, is Erica Bastillo here? Bastillo? Erica Bastillo? Anybody here by the name of Erica Bastillo? No. No, she's not here. We bought her a trip to the moon. Okay. Uh, Erica's dropped her credit card in the parking lot, so if somebody wants to be Erica, you can do some last-minute shopping. Uh, I just want to say that out loud. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to put it with this guy over here who's going to keep track of it. So, Anyway, here's the reason I played that is because America was so filled with hope and anticipation and excitement. It was such a thrilling moment when an American landed on the moon for the first time. And tonight we want to talk about what? Jesus Christ landing on earth. Because what the Bible describes, right, all the excitement in America because of the landing on the moon, what the Bible describes is a scene that's even greater when Jesus Christ landed on the earth. It says that the whole world was filled with his glory because Jesus Christ landing on the earth. It describes it this way in Isaiah chapter 9. It says this, the people walking in darkness had seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light had dawned upon this world. Angels. You think about angels. It says in Luke 2, 14, which the Mullen family just read for us, it says this, that the angels were singing. The angels were so excited that they were singing. They were jumping for joy. And they said this, glory to God in the highest. You think about this. The angels who get to see God face to face every day, got excited about something. You would think it would be difficult for somebody who gets to see God face to face every day to get excited about anything. The angels who have 
for millions and millions and millions of years get to look at the vastness of our universe and all the glory that it is. It takes the breath away of the astronauts. It takes your breath away every time you see it. Think about this. The angels who get to see the vastness of this universe for millions of years, that they are jumping up and down with joy and they're singing glory to God in the highest. And they go on to say in verse number 10, it says that they bring good news of great joy. Not just any kind of joy, but they bring great joy. You know, when Peter describes this later on in the Bible, in the book of 1 Peter, he says, because of Christmas, because of Christmas, the angels long to look into this story. You know what that means? It means around the water coolers of heaven. The angels are standing around the water coolers of heaven because they think the angels who get to see God face to face, the angels who get to see this universe in all of its glory, the angels are so captivated by the Christmas story. They're so thrilled. They're huddling around the TVs of heaven, right? And they are so thrilled about this night. And the question is why? Because they get to see so much, why in the world would they be so excited about this night? We're going to get to that towards the end of this message. Shepherds, the shepherds were thrilled about this night. We're told this, that the shepherds were excited that they came back after seeing baby Jesus. They came back and they were rejoicing. Now, let's think about the shepherds for a second. I don't know if you know this, but shepherds back in those days were social outcasts. I mean, the main thing going in that town was to be a part of the temple where they couldn't be a part of the temple. They were social outcasts. They couldn't be included in what was happening in the community. They lived a pretty miserable life, shepherds did. Shepherds weren't even allowed to give any kind of testimony in court. That's the kind of life that shepherds lived. They lived kind of a depressing, miserable life. But they were excited about this night, very excited about this night. They were thrilled to be a part of it. To experience the thrill of life, everybody, we have to live on the edge of belief. To experience the thrill of life, we must live on the edge of belief. Without belief, without faith, without trust, without hope, we are stuck. We're completely stuck. Life doesn't happen. Thrill doesn't happen. Excitement doesn't happen unless... There is belief. As B.B. King said, the thrill is gone. It's gone completely away. Without faith, without trust, without hope, the thrill of life is gone. Let's contrast Apollo 11 with Apollo 12. It was thrilling during Apollo 11. But you know, the thrill had worn off four months later when two astronauts walked on the moon during Apollo 12. Why is that? There's a number of reasons, but let me give you one big one. We've done that before. We've already been there, right? It took a huge amount of faith in Apollo 12 for them to go up and land on the moon, but it just didn't take quite as much faith as it did the first time around. So it was a huge difference. Who were the uh, um, astronauts that landed on the moon in Apollo 11? Anybody know they were? I already said one name, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. How Apollo 12? Apollo 12, anybody? Apollo 12, going once. Twice, Charles Conrad and Alan Beam, Bean, landed. America wasn't as nearly as excited about Apollo 12 as it was about 11 because we'd been there and we had done that. What were the first words that Neil Armstrong said when he landed on the moon? Just said it. You should remember it. Yeah. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. What were the first words out of Charles Conrad's mouth when he landed on the moon? 
<laughs> whoopee. That's what he said. He said, whoopee. So Whoopi, this was a small, he said something like it was a small step for Neil Armstrong, but he's a much taller guy than me and I'm a short guy and it was a big leap and he had made a bet with a reporter about saying that when he first landed on the moon. You know, Apollo 11, they get up on the moon, they take a phone call from the president, they hang the American flag. Apollo 12, nothing like that took place. It was just anticlimactic. Why was Walter Cronkite, Cronkite, this guy who is just so reserved, right? Why was he so much on the edge of his seat? Why was he taking off his glasses? Oh, boy. Woo! Why was he doing all that? Getting all excited on air. Why were they saying, hey, you got a bunch of people holding their breath. We're all turning blue. Thank goodness. Why was that going on? You know why, everybody? Because they did not know. Because they did not know. They did not know if it was going to work. Was there evidence that it was? Sure. Did they run a lot of tests? Absolutely. I mean, we just didn't like say, hey, guys, see you later. Go to the moon. Have a good time. Hope it works, right? <laughs> they didn't do that. They tested it out. There was evidence. There was rationale. There was reason for it to work. But there was what? There was that gap of faith. There was that gap. And I want to tell you this. Listen, everybody, here it is. It's that gap of faith that makes life worth living. It's that gap of faith that makes things worth thrilling, thrilling, full of excitement. And I want to simply say this to you tonight. It's hope, it's belief, it's faith that causes your heart to pound. It causes you to feel excitement in order to have a thrill. It's that faith part that does it. Without that part, it does not happen. We are just stuck. We need faith. We have to live by faith. It takes faith to really really live. Faith is necessary. There's tremendous evidence about Jesus Christ landing on this earth. There's tremendous evidence. There's tremendous reasons to believe, but it will always take that measure of faith for us to put our trust in him. You uh, can protect yourself by not having faith. You can protect yourself from having disappointments. It's safer that way, you know much safer to not believe. It's safer being Scrooge, actually, than it is to run around and have faith because you're protected. There's only one problem. You just can't live. You just can't feel the thrill of hope and excitement and joy. You have to have faith in order to do that. It makes perfect sense. It takes faith to do everything. It takes faith to get married, doesn't it? Anybody here who's married, they'll tell you it takes faith. You don't know what your spouse is going to do. Hey, if you're a guy here tonight, try this on size, for, for size. If you have a woman in your life, say, yeah, you know, I've got you all figured out. I know exactly what you're going to do. You know, I got it. Yeah. Let me know if that works for you. <laughs> Doesn't work because it takes faith. Marriage takes faith. Getting a degree takes faith. Starting a career takes faith. Getting in a car takes faith. Everything we do with life that moves us forward takes faith. And that's why the Bible says in him we live and we move because faith moves us. And when we move, that's what gets our heart pumping. I'm simply saying with such controversy today about faith and the suspension of reason, that it takes faith. It does not take the suspension of reason. Faith involves engaging your reason. 
like landing on the moon. It involves that. You don't suspend that. But there's always that gap. And without that gap, there is no life. Without that gap, there is no thrilling heartbeat. Without that gap, Walter Cronkite does not wipe his face and rip off his glasses and say, oh boy, whoopee. He doesn't do that because it takes faith to truly be alive. Has anybody had a bad year? Has 2014 been a bad... Don't raise your hands. Has 2014... <laughs> has 2014 been a bad year? You know, it was a really bad year for Joseph in our Christmas story. It was a really bad year for him. His fiance, who he loved very much, his fiance, who he loved very much, went away for six months to be with her relative, and she came back, and she was pregnant. His fiance. And she said, I'm totally faithful to you. Now, you can't imagine the tremendous shame that that brought on him. You don't know the shame in that culture that, that all the community was talking about him. This is bad. This is not good. This is not a wonderful thing. He is having a really bad year. The shepherds were having a really bad life. I already said this earlier. They were social out outcasts. They were the least likely group of people that God would ever reveal to them the Messiah is born. What would make them want to believe? Are they thinking this is just a cruel joke by God setting us up again for something? They had to allow themselves to believe. I bet there's some of us in this room tonight that you're grappling with that. Can I really allow myself to believe? Maybe you've been disappointed. Maybe you're just skeptical. Maybe that's the way your mind works like mine. You're skeptical. Will you allow yourself to believe? Will you have hope again? Will you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior born here on earth? Will you allow yourself to do that? The shepherds were battling that. Will we allow ourselves? Would they go? The angels show up. Now they had a decision to make. Will they actually go and allow themselves to believe that the Messiah is born, that God would reveal it to them, the least likely of all people? And how about Mary? Mary is also having a very bad year. I mean, we quickly go to the birth of Jesus and we think everything's fine. Nothing's fine. You don't think that she was stared at by everybody in that town when she came back? This is true. She had to allow herself to believe that God was at work in this situation that had become so cruel to her. She had to allow herself to believe. Believing is an adventure. It's an adventure in trusting. And life sometimes hurts us and we have to be willing to venture out of our homes, so to speak, to trust and to believe in God. Victor Hugo's novel, Les Mis, is uh, an incredible story. It's considered one of the greatest novels of the 19th century. One of his main characters is named Fantine, and she sings a song, the character sings a song called, I Dreamed a Dream. It's an extraordinary song, but it's equally painful. Listen to some of the words that she sings and see if they don't resonate with you. She sings, I dreamed a dream in time gone by when hope was high and life worth living. I dreamed that love would never die. But the tigers, they come at night with their voices soft as thunder. Watch this. Listen to this. As they tear your hope apart. Has that happened to anybody? As they tear your hope apart and they turn your dream to shame. She concludes with this line in the song. Now life has killed the dream 
I dreamed. Life has killed the dream I dream. Has anybody experienced that this past year? Where you had your dreams taken away? Has life killed the dream you've dreamed? Will you allow yourself to believe again? It's safer not to. You'll, be, you'll, you'll die. You'll be alive, but you'll die. It's no way to live. It's safer. But can you allow yourself to dream again? Charles Dickens wrote a, a novel called Great Expectations. And in it, he talks about a lady, very wealthy lady. Her name was Miss Havisham. Miss Havisham was due to get married. And everybody said, the guy marrying you is only marrying you for your money. Terrible thing to think about. She didn't believe it. She was smitten. She said no. But on her wedding day, when she was in her wedding dress, she gets a letter. And the guy says, yes, I only loved you for money. I don't love you at all. I'm not going to marry you. And so he stands her up and they don't get married. Well, what she did was she had all of her servants. She's a very wealthy woman. She had all of her servants change every clock in the house to the day, to the time, to the exact time that she read that letter. She never took her wedding dress off. She never took the flowers out of the vase. And she walked around in deep darkness. Listen to what Charles Dickens, how he describes her. He says, the bride within the bridal dress that had withered like the dress and like the flowers had no brightness left but the brightness of her sunken eyes. She had chosen to not live again. She had chosen to pull back and to protect herself that she would never get hurt again. But that was no way to live. And so we're reminded of what the Bible says about Christmas, about Jesus. Light has come into the world. The question is, will you allow yourself to believe? If you won't allow yourself to believe, then you can't live. You can't live with a thrill of hope and anticipation and excitement, which is what Christmas is so much about. For you Winnie the Pooh fans, for you Winnie the Pooh fans, my wife calls me Eeyore. Does everybody know who Eeyore is? You might find this hard to believe, but uh, I'm a very skeptical person. Belief doesn't come easily to me. Faith does not come easily to me. It comes much easier for my wife, okay? But it doesn't, doesn't come for me. She's Tigger and I'm Eeyore, okay? So it's, it's, it's very difficult. I want to give you a, just a quick conversation between Eeyore and the way he is and Winnie the Pooh. So Eeyore says, it's still snowing gloomily. Pooh says, so it is. Eeyore says, and freezing. Pooh says, is it? And Eeyore says, yes. However, he said, brightening up a little bit, we haven't had an earthquake lately. <laughs> Eeyore is always looking on the negative side of things. Um, I, I, I find myself being that way. It's hard for me to believe. I have to work at it. Tickers don't have to work at it. They're bouncing all over the place with excitement, believing everything. What a great way to live, you know? What a great way to live. You know, we need Eeyore. We need Eeyore. I hope so, because I'm an Eeyore. <laughs> this night belongs to Tiggers. This is a night of great belief. This is a night of great anticipation and hope. And for you to experience everything that Christmas is about, if you want that joy, if you wonder what the angels are singing about, the angels who see the face of God, if you wonder why they're so excited, it's because they believe. They have placed their belief. Viktor Frankl, in his best-selling book, Man's Search for Meaning, he survived a concentration camp. He realized 
through those days in the concentration camp, it was those people who allowed themselves to keep believing that survived. And for those who gave up, died. They simply died. There's a great movie. Love it. Comes on every Christmas. A Wonderful Life. Anybody seen the movie A Wonderful Life before? What a great movie. Uh, maybe you can recall the scene at the end of that whole movie where he realizes the difference that his life is, is, is made. And he says, he cries out to God. He says, I want to live. I want to live. Please let me live. You know what the difference between life and death and him living was? He had to believe. He had to believe. We can't live. We can't thrive. We can't experience hope unless we believe. Joy and excitement all come as a matter of faith. We believe. What do we believe in? We believe that Jesus Christ loved us so much that he landed on this earth. We believe that Jesus Christ loved us so much that he didn't land on the moon. He landed on the earth. I don't know what you have experienced in life in 2014, but I want you to know that tonight I want to believe with you for whatever it is that God wants to do in your life. And I know it's safer not to believe. I know it's safer to pull yourself back in your shell and just, oh, take it easy. I know it's safer to be Eeyore because then you can't be disappointed. But I know that you can only live if you get a hold of your Tigger side in you and you place your belief. It's a wonderful um, quote from Oliver Wendell Holmes that um, I'm going to actually be using in a series that we're beginning uh, in 2015, and it says this. He says, most people die with their music still in them. Most people die with their music still in them. Don't die with your music inside. Tonight is a night that we want to encourage you. Don't die with any music left inside. God put music inside of you. Now, let me conclude by saying this. We've talked all about belief. We've made the case that, that you have to have belief. Walter Cronkite made the case for us here that when you have faith in something, when you try something, when you move out, that it leads to tremendous excitement and joy. Now, I just want to say in conclusion, what in the world is it that you're going to believe in? Huh? I, cannot, I can believe I'm the next president of the United States, but that doesn't mean anything. I'm never going to do it. Okay? So what exactly are we going to believe in? Here's the thing. Christianity, everybody stands in distinction from every other religion on the planet and every other philosophy. Now, let me clarify something real quick. Let me clarify. Hear me. Hear me. I, I, I only want to draw out its distinctions because it's important that we know what we believe and why we believe. This is not a comparison to say, oh, look at these other religions. We're better than you. That's ridiculous, and I'm not interested in that conversation at all. I'm really not. Not one bit. But it's really important to know if you're going to believe in something, if you're going to have a thrill about something, you've got to know what is it. So I want to tell you in a nutshell what Christmas is all about. And I want to do that in the next three minutes because it's about something extraordinarily simple. Very, very simple. And if you don't get this, then all of Christianity is lost because here's what all of Christianity, it stands on one foundation, the foundation I'm getting ready to tell you about right here. And it only takes a few moments to explain it to you. The Christmas story is about one thing. It's about a person, and that person's name is Jesus Christ. Every religion and every philosophy is about this, except for Christianity. A teacher is sent, and that teacher gives us rules to live by. And if we live by those rules and we do what the teacher says, 
than every single religion in the world. If we do that, then we are good with God. Then we get God's blessing and God's presence and God's power. All those things, every religion, every philosophy believes the exact same thing. A teacher comes and he says, do this and maybe you'll be good. Hopefully you'll be good. Hopefully you'll be right. Every religion does the same. There is only one system of belief in the world and it's called Christianity that stands all by itself, completely by itself and says, no, I'm not sending you a teacher to tell you how to live and rules to live by. Instead, I'm sending you a savior because you can't save yourself. There's nothing you can do. Forget the rules. The rules mean nothing. Nothing. Most people think Christianity is a list of rules. That's total confusion. Christianity is there's no rules. I'm sending you a savior, not a teacher. Every religion, every philosophy sends a teacher, and then usually it sends an enforcer after that who says, you better do this or I'm going to beat you with a big stick, right? Christianity over here doesn't send a teacher or an enforcer. It sends a savior, a rescuer, who says, you know what? I'm going to pick you up out of this pit and change your life. There's the distinctive about Christianity. In all the religions of the world, God powers up in his relationship with us. He powers up. I'm holy. I'm distinct. I'm separate from you. I'm righteous. I'm clean. I'm pure. And in order for me to get with God, experience his blessing, his power, I got to power up with him. You following me? I got to power up with him. Christianity stands all by itself and God powers down as far down as he can go. And he becomes a little baby the most powerless being on the face of the planet. He becomes a baby. Do you see that? Do you see the incredible distinction? Every philosophy, God powers up. And in Christianity, God, all by itself, Jesus Christ powers down to a helpless, powerless little baby. And how do we get right with God? Do we have to power up to God? We power down. It's totally opposite. It's completely unexpected. And yet something inside of every one of us says, you know what, you know what? I don't understand it all, but something about that instinctively inside of me says, that's right. Something inside of me says, I can never be perfect. I will never be able to measure up. Somebody has to measure up for me because I can't, I can't do it. And God powers down for us. We know this to be true. We know it to be true. Some of you watch the, you know, the nature shows, you know, all that kind of stuff with the lions and the tigers and the bears and stuff. Maybe you've seen the one on the lions, right? So you got the head lion, the guy who's really in charge, the alpha lion. Let me tell you something about alpha lions. Here's the deal with the alpha lion. The alpha lion, everybody serves the alpha lion. Like when they get food, who eats first? Alpha eats first. Alpha always eats first. He gets the best of everything. Alpha always takes. Everybody serves Alpha, except one time. So one time, ready? And when is that? It's when some great predator comes their way, some great monster comes their way. At that moment, the Alpha Lion steps forward and he fights. He fights against whatever it is that threatens them. And we look at that and we say, that's right. In 2008, when we had the huge financial meltdown crisis in America, 
What did we say about the guys who made all the money and then when it was time to fight the meltdown for everything that took place and they took millions of dollars as a bonus, we instinctively said, that's wrong. You should at that moment take the shot. Well, every religion in the world believes this. When the monster comes and we're down in the pit, when the monster comes or down the pit, that God is up here on the throne and he's looking down at us and saying, you better do the right thing. You better fight your way out of this. And we look up from every religion in the world, God, you're holy, you're separate. And when we come over here to Christianity, we look to the throne and there's nobody sitting on that throne because Jesus Christ has gone down into the pit for us. He's taken on flesh. This is so completely opposite of everything else in this world. And yet instinctively we say, we know that's right. We know that's the right thing because when we hear about some great alpha leader who bows down in humility and sacrifices himself for the good of the people, we cheer that. We say, yes, I believe it. And there's the story of Christianity for you. Completely unexpected totally opposite from everything we would have expected. This is what Christmas is all about. Religion, everybody, is not the answer. You're hearing that bellowed all across the world, and I've got to tell you this, the Bible says, amen, it's not the answer. The answer is Jesus Christ. The answer is something totally unexpected. I'm asking you tonight, will you follow your instincts? Are you willing to allow yourself to believe in that tonight? Are you willing to allow yourself to have the thrill of hope and anticipation and excitement because of what God has done for you, how God has powered down for you? Let me end with this. It's Christmas. I hope you all are going to get incredible presents, just phenomenal presents that just blow your doors off. I just hope it's great. There's something about presents. I mentioned this on Sunday. I want to do it again because it's so important. You've got to think about this. You've got to think about this. When you get a present, it says something about you. When you get a present and you receive it, it says something about you. So a few years ago, my wife looked at me, and she said, Hey, John, uh, you're fat. <laughs> I have, I have come, become comfortable after many years of marriage realizing that nothing's fair in marriage. There's just some things that aren't fair. Like, I could, I could never do that to her. <laughs> you, do, you, do you, know what, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey. I know exactly what would take place if I did. Okay, there's, no, there's like no question what would take place, and I would pay for it the rest of my life, right? This is not going to happen. So, so, so let's, just say, let's just say for tomorrow morning, I'm ripping open a gift, and it's like, here's my big gift from her, like how to lose weight, right? It's a book about how to lose weight. In order for me to receive that gift, that book, I would have to admit something about myself. I need to lose weight. What we read over and over in the scriptures about Jesus Christ is this. It's a gift. Salvation is a gift. Jesus is a gift. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's a gift. So in order for you to receive the gift, you're going to have to admit something about yourself. And here's the thing you have to admit about yourself. You can't save yourself. You can't save yourself. There's nothing you can do about it. You need somebody to come down and rescue you and save you. Everybody, this is the Christmas story, and we all instinctively know it. 
to be true inside of us. Yes, I am not perfect and I will never be. Yes, my alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, as the Bible says, came down, went into the pit for me and won the day. Won the day. That is something to be incredibly excited about this Christmas season. All right. Uh, So... Christian's going to come, and uh, John's going to come, and we're going to prepare ourselves to sing Silent Night. And as they are coming and getting ready to play, I just I want to conclude with this. We can't, we can't end. We're talking about Christmas without offering an opportunity for every single one of us, every single one of us, to place our faith in this moment with all the rambunctiousness of this auditorium filled with kids. We can't move on without at least offering the opportunity to say, you know what? I got it, John. I believe it. I will admit it. I'm not perfect. I'll never be. And there's nothing I can ever do to make myself perfect and holy before God. I believe it. That resonates with me. And I want to accept it. So I'm going to ask you in a minute that as I conclude in prayer, that you would pray something here on this Christmas Eve night that will change your life that will fill you with the power of the presence of Almighty God. And that is simply to say, God, you know, God, I repent of my sins. I repent of all my sins, but I repent of one sin more than anything else. And that is, I repent of me thinking that I could ever save myself, which is the most important thing that any of us could ever repent from. I repent of thinking that I could ever make myself perfect before holy God. And so instead of, God, you basing everything on my performance and how I've been obedient to be a good little person, I said ask you that you would base it on what Jesus Christ has done, not what I'm trying to do. And that you would save my soul. So I'm going to pray. And just in your own words, I encourage you on this Christmas Eve night to pray that Join me. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for what this night means, for the excitement and thrill. We began with Neil Armstrong landing on the moon, but God, we have ended with Jesus Christ landing on earth, making himself powerless and coming down into the pit with us and fighting for us, saving us and rescuing us. God, for every single person here right now who maybe for the first time in their life, they got it. They got it, the understanding of Christmas. It's not rules. It's about salvation. It's not about obedience. It's about accepting a gift and admitting something about ourselves. God, I just ask that every single person in this room that's wrestling with that, that they would be able to finally receive that and fill the the thrill of hope pour into their lives to experience the power of your presence this Christmas season like never before. Jesus, thank you. There's never been another story like it. Thank you for your love that is so grand and great that it's hard to even describe it. Lord, I ask that you bless every single person here this evening. I ask God that your hand be upon them. Whatever trials they've gone through in 2014, God, May you bring every single one of us through in 2015. Watch over us and lead us. In Christ's name, amen.
Amen. Well, would you please locate your candle? I hope you have one. Would you see if it'll turn on? And could you stand with us, please? We're going to dim the lights in just a second. So locate your candle and turn it on. And we're going to sing Silent Night as one big happy Christmas family. Mother and child 
the infant so tender and mild sleep in heavenly peace sleep in heavenly Well, everybody, this is my family. Come right on out. Um, this is our birthday. Grace Community Church is 14 years old today. Yay. When Grace started 14 years ago, my daughter was just a little tiny baby. And now look at her. It's absolutely terrifying. I, can't, I really can't stand it. So... Uh, Hey, uh, we, there's something that I've said ever since we began. Here's the thing. Here's, here's what you got to know. This is from us to you. If Grace Community Church is anything, it's a family. It's a family. And we love you guys. From our family to yours, we think about you. We pray for you all the time. And that's all we want to be is a family to each other. And we count it one of our greatest privileges as a family to stand here every year and to connect with you and to talk with you and to experience life with you, to pray with you, to hopefully bring some hope and encouragement to you. You are a huge blessing to us and we count it just a huge privilege to be a part of this family. We love you and we wish you the merriest of Christmases ever. God bless you. Have a wonderful evening and a happy new year. Enjoy. Happy birthday. Yeah. All right. God bless you. Have a wonderful evening. Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.